kicking it for real, yo, in Bantertown. What? Back, back in MJ with JW. <laughs> <laughs> I just, how you doing, Johnny? I'm good. I'm a little haggard. I had a flight, uh, as you know. I just uh, came straight from the airport. You came straight from the airport and went straight to lunch with me. I was honored. Beautiful. We had a nice uh, lunch at Cheddar's. Yeah. Not a sponsor. Not a sponsor, but boy, you can eat there for cheap, and I like that. It is. It's like they're built for church culture. I've noticed that. It's a big, like, youth group. You can go out after, you know, you see a lot of that on Wednesday nights. Like, people go out because it's like kids can, you can get a burger there for seven or eight bucks and not break the bank. Yeah, you really can. And, the and you're sitting in a nice, nice booth, and it's a nice, so it's kind of like, almost like a fast casual with a nicer ethos. Right. Oh, nice. You like that? Nice big word there. Ethos. I know words. Yeah. I know words. Um, It's ethos. I've got the best words. <laughs> it's ethos. Yeah. Anyway, I don't really... It's still my favorite joke of yours. It's the Greek god of ambience, I think. My favorite ethos. joke of yours still, and you've been telling it ever since I've known you. What is it? And it's your t-shirt now. Oh, right. That I don't speak Latin don't per speak se. Latin I know percent. that was Greek, but, you know, it still gets me. Just those two words. That's one of my favorite things ever, and uh, it's not been super lucrative. <laughs> Is it not? No, the other t-shirts do way better. Uh, it's just a little cerebral, I guess. That's easy to say. That's I read a great thing the other day, and it was like whenever you hear a comedian say, like, it was a really smart crowd. All they mean is they really liked me. <laughs> right. Like you never hear a comedian go, it was a really smart crowd. They hated me. <laughs> they knew enough to hate to me. To know that I'm an idiot. Yeah. Well, that's I funny. don't know. I'm, I've, I think living in the South, you grow up with like a defensiveness in, in our, just like intrinsic in your being of I'm as smart as everybody else because we get called dumb so much. We, people right. imagine they have a picture in their head of what a Tennessee person is. Yeah. And so you spend your life trying to be like, I know things. Right. It's, it's so dumb. It's like a chip on your shoulder. I had an interview yesterday for a possible project that I'm working on, and I found myself trying actively to de-southernize my voice. Yeah. One time I said, because I come on up. And I, and I felt I felt it coming oh, out. You no. know, I was, like, was it too I, late? Well, I stopped it. I repeated myself as if it was kind of like, you know. Because I come on up here. It's what an idiot would say. <laughs> what I'm saying is. I was like, I mean, <laughs> I, I. Inevitably, irrevocably. I don't think. It, <laughs> <laughs> no, it was. I think I didn't get the whole. I may be exaggerating. It was more like an ah. I had an ah. And yeah. I, I stopped oh, and turned it into an I. You know, eh. Eh, I, I, I. <laughs> my mom used to say Italian. Did your mom say Italian? My grandfather says Italian. Let's go out for Italian. I yeah. have a joke now that I talk about where uh, and it's kind of a true story. I was in a green room and there was a, a menu for this bistro and they were cooking. You know, you could order from that and they would bring it in. Right. It, it was in all Italian. Like there was no English words on it. And I was panicked because I didn't want to look like an idiot. But I didn't know what some of these words were and so i said do you know what cavatappi is and the whole this really happened yeah and they said i think that's corkscrew pasta and i said i thought that was rotini and they said yeah i think you're right <laughs> and then i said well maybe it goes the other way like it's, <laughs> and so i say that in my show now but what i say is like to set that up is i didn't grow up around real italian food like chef boyardee is my chef you know <laughs> right like or on a on a real fancy night we might go out to Olive Garden. What? Put on the dressy shorts. Like that's my <laughs> dressy. Put on the good sweatpants. We're going to Olive Garden. Oh, that's great. But yeah, I did find this out. Uh, I don't know how you delve into your family history more than me. I'm one of those guys that's like I didn't know a lot of my extended family growing up just for different reasons. We had some cancer deaths and I didn't have a, a, a strong relationship with my grandparents and then a couple, they passed uh, and on one side of my family and then the other lived way over in Kentucky and yeah. we just didn't work close. And so I didn't grow up with this sense of like, I've got to find out who I am and who I, you're more of that guy. But I did find this out about my uh, father-in-law the other day. He was born with six toes on each foot. What? Yeah. Really? Can you imagine the balance on this dude? <laughs> they cut him off. Because when you're young, evidently, it's like there's hardly any bone or anything. And they can just go, and we fixed you, and you're done. Wow. And so he just has this little, like, nubbin or whatever. I don't know what's there now. He'd Maybe it like just a, is. He'd be like a Hall of Fame running back. Can you imagine? Oh, my goodness. Just weebles wobble, but wow, not so much. He's uh, That was fascinating because I, you hear about six toes, but I've never heard six toes on each foot. That's amazing. So he, yeah. I'm telling you, he's that guy. He's a well-balanced man. He is. He's yeah. He could have been a... A duck. That's Can you imagine the swimming? 
Like the extra, the extra torque that he could create. <laughs> flippers. Man, that would have been. It's wow. like performance enhancing yeah. borderline there. Wow. Wow. They start counting toes before the big Olympic meet. Have you ever hey, seen get Michael, out of here, buddy. you ever seen Michael Phelps' feet? feet? Who no. knows, bro? It's true. He could have some. Uh, have you ever seen Shaq's feet? No. So Shaq is super funny, and you know, he's very self-deprecating and stuff right. on inside the NBA. And they goof on each other. And I can't remember what the reason was, but one day he took off his shoe and his sock, and his foot is a disaster. Oh, I can't even imagine. It is... I need to show you. I'll show you a picture in real time. Hang on. I've got it saved on my phone because wow. we were, I was sharing it with a buddy the other day. And, and you like, out there right now listening, you can Google Shaq's foot. Yeah. Google Google Shaquille O'Neal foot. And uh, hang on. I'm going to find it. It It is jarring how jacked up a rich, famous person's foot is. Because you just imagine they have different feet than us. Okay. I'm going to bring it over to you. Hang on a second. I don't think I imagined that they had different feet. Can you just can you just text it watch. to me? This is the oh dear. So that look how jacked up that part is. Now watch. Let me show you the close up. Hold on. Look look at this extra meat here. What in the? That's the sixth toe, John. Wow. Then there's these other two. What have yous? It's like the weight of his three fifty plus pounds just kind of and made extra toe holes. Wow. Extra toad nubs that came out. Uh, I hope you all heard everything Johnny just said outside of his microphone, but no extra I, nubs he has, and toe holes. I'm telling you, and this dude played professional sports with these feet. Wow. And, I mean, I'm talking about Shaquille gets this thing of like, well, he's just the biggest guy. He bowls people over. You watch an old Shaquille highlight. Dude, that dude's a ballerina. The footwork he had. To, to get open and move and around. And now knowing people. what kind of feet he was on with that. Well, he work. would miss games, and, and they would say he has turf toe or whatever. He has a foot issue. And now I realize, yeah, I mean, that's the thing with big people, too. They say that the circulation is never great. Yeah. It's like your heart has to push blood through all. I mean, if you're, so if you're like seven foot three like he is, it's like your feet are getting the last. You're not, you're not getting the good blood. Yeah. They're getting <laughs> the last of the blood. And so. Not getting the good blood. They're not getting the good blood. I'm not a scientist. <laughs> But so, yes, yeah, so you have feet problem, you have numbness, you have neuropathy and things. And so, I, but those feet, I couldn't believe, I would never take my sock off. He not, did for, not for my wife. Like, he did it with cameras. Right, and allowed people to photograph it. Well, that's amazing. I wish I had the kind of security that, Sha- that Shaq has. Just financial security. Right, or just the, <laughs> uh, <laughs> or the armed guards or whatever. You know? I just think he's like, whatever, I got jacked up feet, who cares? Right, who cares? But yeah. maybe not. In my family history, I don't, I don't know. And so this is an interesting story. And yeah. We're in my office right now again. There's a a uh, frame up here on the wall there right. to your right, my left. Right. Um, so I was always told this. I'm just going to tell all the listeners oh, a fascinating story. Oh, it really is fascinating, Johnny. I started this with the family history thing. You did this. You did this to yourself. But my story's about extra toes. Yours is going to be like um, the Revolutionary War. Civil War. Oh, have you know? <laughs> but so I was always told that there's a guy named Captain William Driver. Right. Oh, and he, he's real, and you can go Google him if you want. And we were the thing I was told is, is that we were related to him. Mm-hmm. Captain William Driver had the original flag that was called Old Glory. So if we call the American flag Old Glory, it was his flag. He came up with the name. He was a. a Captain in the 1830s. Is Betsy Ross in here somewhere? No, no, no. That's Star Spangled Banner. So well, no, that was Francis Scott Key. He wrote that song. She she did the original. But she did the flag, right? Correct. But that's a different era. Okay. This is 1830s. Okay. 18, right. that, that was like 1776 time. Okay. No, wait. No, no. Star Spangled Banner is 1812. War of 1812. Yeah. At any rate. So Betsy Ross had been before that. Yeah. So I, I correct myself, but she had the first like flag, supposedly. Who knows? And then yes, Star Spangled Banner was the song written by Francis Scott Key. Mm-hmm. But it would have been like the kind of flag she made. Well, anyway, he had an American flag that his mom and a bunch of the ladies from the town made for him yeah. before he embarked upon his first uh, journey around the world out of Salem, Massachusetts. They hung. They put it up over the ship, and he said, "I'll call her Old Glory." And it's huge, huge flag, and that's where Old Glory happened. So he sailed for 20, 30 years yeah. all over the world, did a bunch of crazy stuff, and his wife died. So he came home and he moved to Nashville. Yeah. 
and lived out his days. And then in the 1860s, so well before the Civil War, his flag was so famous here that he was down on Fifth Avenue and all the parades on like patriotic holidays would go right past his house and they would hang the flag. It was so big it would cross the street from two buildings basically then march underneath it on their way to the Capitol. People would have terrible accidents because it's blocking the street. Well, it was above them. It was above them. You, okay. you marched below it. So, yeah. Okay. Try to, try to keep up. Okay. And so then the war breaks out, and the Nashville, there's like not really a battle at first. They just kind of fall to Confederate occupation. Of course, he is this staunch unionist, very, very anti slavery. Wrote, he actually ran for mayor of Nashville. This is why you hoped that he was your relative because he was on the right side of history, right? He was on the side of history. It was like, oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But, but he wrote all kinds of like articles in the newspapers and everything out oh, against good. slavery and. And he lost the mayoral race, you know, but he was actually a councilman and, and all kinds of different things. But really, really outspoken, like old codger, like like willing to say anything. He was in his sixties mm-hmm. at that point. So the Confederates came to his door, like Confederate sympathizers, and demanded old glory. They were going to take it and destroy it. And he basically, and there's all kinds of stuff. I've been to the Tennessee State Museum, and there's there's a lot of like original artifacts and things. You can read his handwriting about all this stuff because he wrote tons of stuff. Yeah. And he basically said the equivalent of, you can pry it from my cold, dead hand. Oh, wow. And so they came in and searched his house like five times and never could find the flag. Well, then eventually, when Nashville fell, there was some shelling and other things. There wasn't – there was a yeah. battle of Franklin and things around here. But Nashville, basically, the Confederates, when the Union came, just kind of skipped town. And so <clears throat> he, after the, the Union had retaken Nashville, went into his house – Went upstairs, got a quilt, and he cut it open, and he had had his neighbor – we didn't even tell his wife or his daughters – had a neighbor sew the flag into this quilt, and he had slept under it. Just imagine the imagery here from a writing standpoint. They couldn't find the flag, and he's like sleeping under it every night. That's a great story. It's unbelievable. He marched out with the Union garrison, and this old guy marched with them down Fifth Avenue all the way to the Capitol, climbed to the top, and helped them raise Old Glory back over Nashville. And Nashville was never again not under Union occupation after that. Dude, why aren't you writing this book? Well, I ha- I, there's it writes a- itself <clears throat> the U.S. of Duvet. You've got to write this book. Oh, we're yeah, gonna, he had a comforter with the flag sewn into amazing. it. It's a true story. That's unbelievable. It's all and so and Old Glory, Old Glory's in the Smithsonian. Our friends Jeffrey and Allison just went and saw it. I mean, okay. you can go see it. And it kind of it comes to the Tennessee State Museum sometimes on a, on a tour. But I wanted to call the book "Chasing Old Glory" because I was U.S. of Duvet is better, but whatever. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> so, but the idea was is I want to find my connection to this yeah. guy. So that's to your previous point. And then I, you find out that you're not though. I can't make a connection. I'm oh, sorry. You, I just hit, you, the, just hit you, the thing here. So have you done like a real search? Oh, yeah. I did. I I have done. Ancestry or whatever. I did Ancestry.com, a lot of research. I hired uh, my buddy as a research assistant for a while. We were doing all kinds of things at the State Museum, the whole deal. I can write this story still. We still share the same last name yeah. and everything. But the best I can tell, we're not related to him, like the Massachusetts driver. We're probably related back in England somewhere or Ireland, to be honest with you. I even sent him a spit, by the way. Oh, okay. yeah. Have you, you, have you done the, that? No, the twenty three and Me and all that. Well, uh, Ancestry, you can send in your DNA, and it will tell you all these connections and tell you. I'm where you're almost from. a little scared. You know, that you're always like people always imagine that they come from good stock, and I'm always like, I have a feeling there's some rogues and heels <laughs> in my. There's not some. You don't want to find <laughs> out that like, oh yeah, yeah. So right as they were about to set the slaves free. Your great great grandfather sold them back into you know whatever. Right? It's no, like, you don't I, want to be that guy. Well, and that's the thing. So even Captain William, he had like he had like four sons. Yeah, and like two of them fought for the Confederacy and two fought for the Union, and he disowned one. And he's buried in the Nashville City Cemetery over there off of Fourth Avenue. Why doesn't he get a statue? He has a huge monument oh, does he? at okay. his. Now he designed it. He all right. That's Some kind of okay. might think is a little. It's like this tree stump. It's there. You can look at it. That's the monument. It's a stump, and it's got an American flag wrapped around it, and it's got all kinds of stuff from. Like he freed the descendants of the of the mutineers on the bounty. Yeah, they were on an island dying of disease, and they paid him, and he picked them up and transported them transported them from to Tahiti, I think, and okay. now they live there. Like they're they're like a big population of people. And anyway, I got a new title for the book. Here we go. Liberty Undercover. That's, that'll work. Yeah. Yeah. Liberty Undercover. 
Mm. You think? I like it. I really ought to just write it and not worry about the whole journey to, to make my connection. But it's got to have – Have you, you, you've, you've done enough research on – because you've done like an adapted screenplay and you've done other things like this where you need a log line yeah. to sell things. Yeah. It's like describe to me what you're working on in two sentences and if you can't do it, yeah. then you need to scrap it in, until you can. The so Civil, like, the so civil what, War angle is what makes it yeah, to me. Yeah. yeah. His story previously is fascinating. There's all cool. kinds of there's all kinds of like naval adventures and things, but yeah. it's it's that's where I'd start the book. I would yeah. start the whole or the movie. It could be a movie. It really could. To me, it's like a mini series. Like you kind of you know, but this this guy but Civil War stuff is kind of 2018 is it's a weird time because it's like we're we're in danger now of, of just kind of whitewashing history and and deciding that like. Because we weren't happy with the politics of the day that we're going to just ignore that it ever happened or whatever. Right. When well, there's so much we can learn from it. Oh, yeah. Well, there's, uh, and there's a lot and of he was on the right side, so there's a chance it could be made. You never know. Right. There's, and there's a lot to be said for, you know, here's the deal. Obviously, against slavery, I do, I do believe that – and that's called modernism. We talk about that sometimes in the podcast. Yeah. You know, modernism is judging past uh, events by modern yeah. historical standards. But I'm actually reading a book right now. I'm really nerding out on it. It's this huge book I got at Costco because I love Costco books. And I love Costco clothes because you don't have to try them on. That's amazing. Wait a cheap. minute. You mean that they just fit poorly? Well, no, you just you know hope that they work. Maybe you just have a nice average frame and you just are lucky. Well, yeah, I would like, have to try on Costco it's clothes. It's probably medium. You know, I just kind of get it. Or large. Yeah, you're, no, <laughs> you're a medium guy. Yeah, I'm, I'm on keto. I'm getting back down to a medium. Beautiful. medium. A medium. But listen, the truth is the Costco books, which is where I want my yeah. book when it comes out in January. Why would you not want that? I, I want it so Wasn't that the big scandal, though, that was like it ended up being false that Costco put the Bible in the fiction – on the fiction table and oh, all these – every know. pastor in the world was sharing it like, how dare they? Oh. And then people were getting a boycott and it was wrong. It, it was could totally, have just been somebody shelved it wrong. It was, it was a total like fabrication. I think it ended up being like Photoshop. Yeah. They wow. photoshopped the sign on the table. Who would do that? Somebody trying to rile up the evangelical uh, base, you know, Yeah, against the evils of corporate America. Even then, I, I hate the whole idea that, yes, I'm, I, obviously the Bible is not fiction to me. But I hate the whole idea that if somebody hurls an accusation at God that we're going to have to all jump to his defense because yeah. he – you know, the creator of the universe can't take care of things. He's not yeah. going to be able to handle this, guys. we got to rise up for him. There was a pastor friend of mine that posted something to that degree today that reminded me of what you just said. And it was something to the effect of like when you have haters online – hang on, I'll find it. It was something about haters. If you have haters online uh, – you're not going to get up and come over here again, are you? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you're funny, John. Hang on. I'll find it. I do think in the story, while you're finding it, I do think yeah. in the story, the idea that he had a son or two who fought for the other side, even being raised in his family, yeah. it would at least say that this there, there, there is complexity to it. I obviously agree, and, and the book I'm reading now is about John Adams and Thomas Jefferson and their relationship, Yeah, and it talks about the fact, and I just read a chapter last night, about the fact that we act as if nobody understood that slavery was wrong. I mean, there was so much anti-slavery sentiment happening, and when they're writing the Declaration of Independence, yeah. and it's actually after all the states had written a lot of their own declarations, and they didn't think it, they didn't think it would be that big of a deal. Because they thought the states had already done it, and and it became this much bigger deal. But they're writing about equality, and the guy who is the main, uh, you know, craftsman of the language mm -hmm. is one of the largest slaveholders in Virginia. And they talked about the, how he reconciled because a lot of the Southern uh, patriots they they found a way. They found a way to go a different direction in their mind. They found a way to change their to shift their paradigm. In a way that says – some of them, there's all kinds of writings where they say all people – look, and that's part of the enlightenment thinking is that you're not as much a result of your nature as you are of your environment and your opportunities. And yeah. that all men can be created – are created equal in that all men have opportunity to – if given the best opportunity to become – You know, it, it still had a lot of problems because they, they weren't saying like, hey, you're just equal where you are. They're saying – you have the ability to be equal if yeah. given the best education and given the right opportunity. And if you pull yourself up, then you can be on the level with the aristocracy. Right, imperialism. But they still believe with yeah. an, an aristocracy. Yeah. That's why it's a Republican government where it's not just rule the people, but the aristocracy and the Senate right. and the executive branch would help control. So 
But the idea, though, is fascinating. I would love to write this in the book or in the movie. I mean, it's fascinating that it wasn't just probably all this uh, this this purely enlightened 2018 thinking of all people exactly as they are, regardless of their of their status or state in life, are exactly the same. They believed they were beginning to believe it was revolutionary. Obviously, that all people had, if given the same opportunities, mm-hmm. could rise to that. And the funniest thing about it, the whole thing is, is that England had already abolished slavery. Like, and so they're claiming equal rights under for all humans at the same time that they're basically now saying, oh, except for this kind of human, we don't believe has the the capacity to have the same rights. In fact, Thomas Jefferson believed, according to this book, that that the African slaves literally were not capable of the same level of growth. But he thought Native Americans, who were often just as much mistreated and yeah. were wiped out, that they did because of – he. he it's, it's all about what they consider to be civilization. Right. He evaluated their artistry and their music and all mm-hmm. kinds of other things because to him – it's, it's a real Greek mindset. Those who can appreciate, you know, architecture yeah. and art and other things that that's that's a, a measurement of your ability or your capacity to grow into civilized society. So he literally just summed up these two groups of people. The architect of, of independence <laughs> had this total major faux pas in thinking, and yeah. probably because he had so much to lose. As a, he would have right. known that probably in his mindset, but that he had so much to lose financially. But there was a big movement in at the time that American independence was happening to go ahead and abolish slavery. In fact, Jefferson was writing some of it, and the Virginians just shot it all down. Even though he didn't believe it, he still thought slavery was an institution that, that was not going to last long term as it had already been abolished in New England around John Adams' time. So, hey, just took you down a little bit of a road Man, there. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but it's fascinating to me. You roll like the little uh, Civil War drum music and some Ken Burns. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Uh, so this is that tweet I was telling you about. Empowerment tech. This is from my friend Bo Chancy, who's a pastor in New England. Empowerment technique number one, you do not have to respond when people attack you online. It's more fun knowing that they will spend their whole day refreshing the page but never find the fight they were looking for. <laughs> That's so <laughs> That's great. great. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, if you, if you don't feed the trolls sometimes, you're just like, I bet they're refreshing seeing if I respond to this. Yeah. I mean, I've only had a few troll experiences, but yeah. – I think, you know, I think even if those of us who who understand what the internet is, there's always that shock and awe that somebody could be absolutely so yeah. rude and ruthless, you know, and say something they would never say to your face. That's the hard part too. Yeah, yeah. people get emboldened, and uh, we're living in a very emboldened time for people who are uh, not the best. Well, my wife was talking about that. There's a lot of articles and podcasts out about, and we discussed it at lunch a little bit about the polarization of political mindsets and, and viewpoints in America and that if you really think about it, you know, during the previous administration, which yeah. is considered to be very liberal by a lot of people's standards, you know, it's it was not very moderate. There's not a lot of room for, for moderation in that viewpoint. And, and then now the current administration, very, very polarizing on the conservative side, not a lot of room for moderates and moderate voices are so getting lost in the middle. In fact, you're, you're accused – if you have a moderate voice by either side of yeah. being liberal or yeah. ultra conservative, you're wishy washy. You're yeah. not helping anybody if you if you have a, a moderate thought. But the, I mean, the truth is that yeah. most of American history has been built around the fact that we f- the, the reason that systems are built with checks and balances the way they are is so that a moderate viewpoint mm-hmm. can exist. Uh, and and there's got to be some some way to have that well, dialogue that, in the middle. Well, and that's the hard part about evangelicalism when it gets mixed up in government too, is because evangelicalism is built on this burden of certainty that I don't even know for sure is one of those things that's even inherent in the gospel. But I was certainly raised with that idea that like we're right, they're wrong, yeah, and God love them, they just don't know any better, and but they're dangerous because they don't know any better, yep. And you just live your life with this assuredness. And so when you yeah when you when you start having politicians who fall in line to try to get these votes, they want you to fall in line a hundred percent. And so when you start saying, "Well, I need to be able to reach across the aisle and come to a compromise on health care with you," we don't compromise. Like compromise right. is like the worst thing you can say to an evangelical. Oh yeah. But build but government's built on compromise because everybody brings their ideas to the table, and we're supposed to be able to get things done. And honestly. When people talk about gridlock in government, gridlock is what's kind of supposed to happen in government. 
It is. It's supposed to be yeah. butting heads so that some drastic, huge thing doesn't happen when one party gets in power. Right. That's going to set – because that's the main thing. I, if you ever talk to anybody that's in government, ever been in government, I had a conversation with somebody who used to be a state senator, and they said the number one thing I learned that was the huge danger in government, it's not people with agendas and evil plots. It's unintended consequences of well-meaning laws. Oh, yeah. You yeah. pass a thing – and then somebody finds a loophole around that thing, or now all of a sudden, because you passed the thing that said that the oil pipeline is going to come into Alaska and it's going to bring all this money to the region, now you've killed the ecosystem right. or people that live there or you know uh, an Indian tribe or whatever it is. Those things are so huge. And so if you just go, I'm just going to vote on a party line and I'm just going to do whatever the people who – you know, if you get into populism – that's the danger is you just start rubber stamping everything and these unintended consequences, they pile up. Yeah. And you've built a whole other country that you weren't intending to. No, absolutely. There is, um, you know, uh, in, in our lifetime and actually presently, you know, we have opportunities to to be involved in somebody's journey who, you know, they're struggling with certain things. My dad, um, before he passed, I mean, he spent his whole life he, either working in the public school system in Nashville, Metro schools. His school had 31 language groups. It was wow. a gang-infested area. It's actually the largest largest Kurdish population outside of the Middle East exists in Nashville. Yeah, in I've heard town. that. Yeah. And so dad was constantly involved in, in, in trying to, to help kids and help people through and, and, and keeping them safe. And he was kind of considered the discipline guy of a school of like, you know, two, three thousand yeah. kids where there's he was lots the, of He was the lean on me. He was the, he was, he was the Joe Clark. He's a lot. And, and kids would trust him, you know, with, with life and death yeah. information that he could go act on. In fact, one time's a great story. One time this kid and it was going to court, this kid had come to dad in, in uh, private to tell him something he needed to know that was, you know, I think is probably a gang issue or something else. Yeah. And dad acted on it. And when the whole thing went to court, the judge told dad that he needed to give up his source. But dad knew everything about his job with those kids was based upon the trust yeah. that they could trust him and he would never, he would protect them. And so literally, I remember I was a kid, dad came home from court and the judge said, you need to go home and you need to, you need to sleep tonight and you're going to come back tomorrow. And if you don't tell me who your source is, I'm ordering you to, I'm going to hold you in contempt and throw you in jail. Man. And so dad went home and we literally started praying like, because dad might be going to jail tomorrow. He's like, and I think the judge said, bring your toothbrush back with you. Wow. Cause you're going to be here a while kind of thing. And so we went home and prayed and, and dad was like just a man of principle. He's like, I, I can't, he was a principle of principle. huh? Man. And he was There's just like, there title. you go. And he just couldn't, he just couldn't make peace because that would forever keep kids. Well, from and you kind of could to, put that kid in danger too, right? If there's gang culture oh, yeah. or whatever, you can put him in danger of being a rat or whatever. And I don't remember the exact situation, but yeah. it was something dangerous. Yeah. And I remember the next day when he went back after we prayed about it, there was a different judge that day. Oh. Like somebody else filled in and they dropped the whole thing. And, and, wow. And, well, they didn't require him to do that. And we Man. just felt like our prayers yeah. obviously were heard. And what a what a blessing that was. But, you know. But he would have gone. He would have just gone to jail. He would. Oh, yeah. He would have done it. That's unbelievable, dude. Yep. And yeah. Your dad was something else. But dad had a gentleman for our lawn care business that uh, is still a friend of ours today who, um, you know, he's in his 50s and uh, and he was in trouble when he was in his teens and, and was just in, just in a cycle you know, and he made us some bad choices, but dad, you know, led him to faith and loved him. And we still love him to this day. And one of the things about his situation that was difficult was, uh, he had children who were grown like in their thirties, but he owed, um, he owed back payment on, um, not alimony, but child support. Sorry. Yeah. I lost it. He owed child support and he didn't have a job and paid. And so this is the thing, like they, one of the things in Tennessee law, to your point, is they take away your driver's license. Okay. And so he has a real hard time holding down a job. Yeah, you now know. you can't get a job he, because... You, I mean, it's Nashville, it's pretty wide, it's pretty spread out. It's a weird punishment. It took away his driver's license. It's like it, it, it hamstrings you to ever be able to pay it back ever right. because you're and it punishing just, him for not paying to begin with. And it compounds to the point where at some That's point so after, after 10, 15 years, you're in the hundreds of thousands yep. and a guy who's... Even if he had a car, 
where he is with his education and everything else, like he's not going to be able to make much above poverty level right. type pay and he can't get to work right mm-hmm. now. And so he can't dig out like that as a whole. And it's easy to say, well, yeah, he shouldn't have made the bad choices and he shouldn't. And, and, and absolutely. But yeah. in my life, Johnny, I made a lot of bad choices that somebody helped me through. Yeah, heck um, yeah. That, that the, the hammer didn't come down as it right. could have because there was someone going, hey, I'm not going to let this. Now, I might have been disciplined severely and, and dealt with some pretty severe consequences, but not in the state that would affect my life forever. Like the p- purpose of the discipline was to keep me from being stuck in that forever. Right. But so, and I'm sure there was a well-meaning purpose behind passing a law like that because it is a pretty severe consequence. And obviously I believe in taking care of our children. Like I understand the spirit of that. But the flip side is at some point, like you said, you go yeah, – the unintended consequence of that is, is is the children will never be taken care of because yeah. the guy can never provide enough. You put a scarlet A on his chest now. Yep. He can't become – he can't be reformed. Right. He can't be redeemed from that situation. Right. Yeah, so that's the hard thing. When well, unless he, when he breaks he, the law, by the way, right. and drives without a exactly. license. And then that's so, just going to compound it again. Exactly. Yeah. That's the hard thing about partisanship. It's like when you want to be the law and order candidate and you want to come down hard on people, that's when you end up with things like – which is so funny because that's happening now. Where the, Trump introduced a crime bill yesterday and I was watching the news about it. And it's rolling back some of the stuff that Clinton, who was a extreme left-wing president mm-hmm. – but he was part of the three strikes you're out thing. So you have people who are serving life sentences for like three felonies that sometimes are like amount to possession of weed. Right. So there are people in jail who had three convictions of minor drug possession. And so some of that stuff's being rolled back in because we realize how racist some of it was. It was geared towards impoverished people. Yeah. And it was a it, it was an imbalance in the system. Right. And what it but when you pass them like that, you're like, we're going to get tough on crime and you get people to cheer that you're going to make their neighborhood safer. But the unintended consequence is this this unfairly targets certain people groups, et cetera, and uh, it can ruin somebody's life that makes a mistake. It's like it's a weird thing. So I, I'm more of those guys that one of those guys that's like, let's figure out there are people who have forfeited their right to be part of society. I sure. get that. Sure. But let's figure out who those people are and let's do it. Let's do this with a scalpel, not with a chainsaw. Let's do, you know what I'm saying? Let's do, yeah. if we're going to do surgery on the system, let's figure out where the cuts need to be made and let's do it. But I'm intrigued to see what happens. But yeah, you do. It's, it's, and it's so weird that somebody would do that. Like, yeah, you, you can't pay. So now we're going to take away your ability to go work. Right. And so we've, we, I don't know, man, that's so fast. I mean, and again, maybe who knows what the original intent of that law was, but man. And and there's other things, you know, I'm probably not at liberty to share right now that are very more recent in our journey with other people yeah. that it's not that the system's bad. It's that if you're in a place where you don't have transportation or you're serving probation or some sort of parole and, and then you're required within a, at a moment's notice to show up for this test or this class without really – it's all over town. Yeah. How are you – how are they supposed to get there? If you don't show up, there there is a warrant for your arrest. And and again, I, I'm all about. Uh, I'm not being sympathetic towards crime, you know. And, and we went over Pastor Andrew's uh, sermon this morning, uh, and we're talking about John chapter nine, and we're talking about uh, that is uh, the man born blind. He's, he and last week it was great. It was two parter. Last week he took dirt on the stage. I saw the thing. I saw yeah. the photos of it. Yeah, and he spit in the dirt until it made mud. And it, he, somebody has as calculated it takes 21 spits because mm. i always preach that about that story you probably remember that from like i want you to imagine what the blind guy yeah so jesus normally just touches people you know yeah. and and heals them so he's probably all excited he knows jesus is there right and all of a sudden imagine the sights and sounds or more importantly for him the sounds yeah of what's happening jesus is spitting in a dirt enough to make clay yeah that's a lot of spit and what is he listening to and what the crowd's watching and how like gross and weird and and awkward it is to sit there, and he's like probably you know going, what's happening now? And no one will answer. Yeah. You know, like uh, yeah. we don't really know. And 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 so he did that last week, and it was it was great. And so this week we're talking about though the, the, the after story of that that we often miss is what happens. It's on the Sabbath that the Pharisees come out of the woodwork and they accuse Jesus. They know this guy was blind. Now they start like interrogating yeah. him, and and then they begin interrogating his parents. 
Mm-hmm. And there's this threatening, and, and scripturally, if you see the terms thrown out of the synagogue, it doesn't mean they throw you out one time. It means they excommunicate you from the community. Okay, yeah. So it's a big, big deal. It's a cultural thing, not just right. a religious thing. Not like, you don't come back till next week. Like, no, yeah, you're never, yeah, yeah. you're ostracized now from our culture and our society. And so the parents basically wouldn't even claim their own child's healing. They just said, look, he's of age, ask him. Like, they didn't want to face, huh. and it's kind of sad they wouldn't stand with him, but he kind of began confronting them. They kept asking and asking the same questions. He goes, look, I don't know who the guy is. Some guy named Jesus. I don't know where he is. He spit in this mud, and all I know is now I can. I was blind, and, I, and I, now I see. And, here's the, and they go, we don't know who this Jesus is or where he's from. He goes, there's a guy healing people of blindness. You're the religious leaders, and you don't know anything about him? Right. Like he really begins confronting them, and they say this. You know what? You were born a sinner. You were born into this is what ESV says. You were born into utter sin. Who are you to teach us? Hmm. And what it what they're saying is, is we don't believe that we were born into utter yeah. sin. But your condition or your situation in life as this poverty-stricken blind guy who's mm-hmm. begging everywhere, we have now – and they don't even know they're saying it. We have now assumed – and we're now speaking what we have always assumed inside that you are – in greater need of help right. from God than we are. And to your point about all the things that we can't see and how this this idea that so we're talking about we're talking about the penal system and, and yeah. crime and other things like that. We often don't know what we what we can't see. Like if I'm blind to something, the worst blindness, and Jesus even says that, he goes, I came into the world to judge. And mm-hmm. in, in other words, places in John, he says, I came not to judge. But this is a different kind of judgment. What he said is, I came to judge to this end, that those who are blind would see, and those who think they see will know that they're blind. Yeah. Like, the greatest blindness of this life is thinking you don't have blindness. Yeah. Like, in, in saying that, hey... And then that's just that whole humility. I forget who it was, if it was Spurgeon or someone like, hey, you can really sum up the gospel in three words, humility, 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 yeah. you know, and it may not have been Spurgeon, but that there is this necessity. The only real prerequisite is that I admit that I don't know everything, that my perception may not be right, that I don't have the perspective of the creator, that I may not be completely Christ-like. And as much as I've learned or grown or done good deeds or whatever it may be, that perhaps I don't own a full viewpoint of all things that are right in all situations and then not overlaying my experience. I mean, I think the number one thing that causes racism in people that they feel like is not racism, mm-hmm. but they feel like is justified is that they had an experience. And so it's it's an you know, experiences produce stereotypes and they maybe had that experience 10, 15, 20 times over. Well, one time this happened to me and this person and then their whole neighborhood, this is how they always acted. And when I grew up, that let me know that all people from that kind of neighborhood or speak that language or of that color must be that way and not not understanding that that could have been a true experience to where you were, but that your viewpoint may not be the global one or the universal one. And the danger we have in that I think what Christ came to say was, is listen, hey, guys, the ones who are most blind spiritually in this story are the ones who said that they need it the least. And he said, I came so that those who think they see will recognize their blindness. And it's the Mm -hmm. greatest gift that he brings to us. Dude, I got a great title for that book, too. All right, bring it. Spitting Image. (laughs) Boom. (laughs) I love it. Oh, my gosh. That's the whole, that's the sermon series. Spitting Image, John 19. Okay. So this is to your point about. uh, It's John 9. John 9. Sorry. I wasn't really listening. Do learn your Bible, bro. Uh, <laughs> it's John 19 in my Bible. I've got a different one. I wrote it in. Uh, so this is from Richard Rohr. Who you know him. He's yeah. a great uh, He's a, a Catholic. Uh, f- he's Father Richard Rohr. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it says OFM. I don't know what that OFM stands for. Richard Rohr, OFM. Official Franciscan monk. I think it may be Franciscan monk. Is maybe. it really? Okay. So this is a famous quote from him that I thought it was apt. It says, there are two ways of being a prophet. One is to tell the enslaved that they can be free. It's the difficult path of Moses. The second is to tell those who think they are free that they are, in fact, enslaved. This is the even more difficult path of Jesus. Wow. So that's like to your, that's, the, that's what you were just talking about. Wow. Being blind 
but thinking that you're the one that can see and pitying people around you and real. But then Jesus comes and says, like, no, you're the blind one. Order of Friars Minor Capuchin. <laughs> That's what it means. So I was close. You were so close. Order of, he's a friar. Only a few letters off. Man. No, and I think you're, you're exactly right. And he, the, the great thing is, is that if, if all of us who hear that message should hear it daily in our faith, because the best place to start is, is always there. And I was so guilty of my own Phariseeism. Phariseeism is just blindness towards your own need. Yeah. That's really at its, it, it, it is filled with good deeds. It's filled with right and wrong. Like when they told Jesus, you can't do this on the Sabbath, that was their best interpretation. In fact, they even said, let's give glory to God, but mm-hmm. we don't know who this guy is. Right. Like they, what they were saying was, and then they, and they proclaimed themselves throughout that story, we are disciples of Moses. Mm-hmm. We don't know who this guy is. Meaning we'll acknowledge the good thing that has happened as long as it fits into our viewpoint of Christian, or sorry, of Judaism in that case, our yeah. viewpoint of what it means to follow God. But anything outside of that, we're not, we literally will deny the very miracle that is undeniable. And they threw the guy out. They took the guy who was healed and they excommunicated him from themselves on the greatest day of his life. Yeah. The people of faith who should have been serving him and rejoicing with him, including his parents, they all said, nah, it's too much risk to lose to lose what I've always known to be true. I would rather, I would rather <laughs> stay in the dark. It's, a, it's very matrixy than find out that what I've always thought might have another chapter, yeah. another testament, if you mm, will. Boom. A new testament. New Johnny. testament. We're back at Stephen Wiley. <laughs> my wife was laughing so hard that I still knew the rap. Dude, you killed Stephen it, Wiley. man. Oh my gosh! One of our listeners, Jim, yeah. uh, told he knew he knows all those guys. Are we gonna have <laughs> to get he really Jim. Oh, knows. we gotta get him on because I looked up Stephen Wiley when I was out with Curry, uh-huh. and I said, well, "Let's see what he's doing now." He's a Bible professor in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Oh, wow, you're kidding! I don't know if he does the rap every day for all the. I don't think I he. I think his last record, the, according to Wikipedia, was like 2000. Dude, Jim knew every single like he was rattling off, rattling off things that. You and him would just sit for hours. Oh, yeah. Like man. total early, like Christian metal, Christian rap. Oh, yeah. Junkie. Like he was saying things that I kind of knew, you know, but then I'm kind of. Jim Calhoun tends oh, to yeah, yeah, yeah. our daughters play on the same volleyball team. No, I love it, man. Jim, we're calling you out. We Let's, want you to be a guest on We talk need about like that. a. Uh, we need to have him on and we need to do random, like Christian uh, pop culture trivia. Oh, yeah. And then we'll have a challenge. I was fascinated. Like he was, he was, he was flooring me with his knowledge, yeah. and it was very much like sitting with you, just like a wealth of worthless, it has useless no information. Meaning and yeah, <laughs> uh. <laughs> if only we could use it for the forces of good. You know, you are a, a formidable opponent and a wonderful um, teammate in Trivial Pursuit. Yeah, I will say that we've not played in a long time. Was that Christmas, that staff Christmas sh- party? You know what we should do? Because you'll have some time off for the holidays. Sure. We should have a game night at my house so we can invite some of the people over. Because mm. you've not been over to the new house, uh, except just to hang. We went to meet over like, for house. dinner and to yeah. hang. That's what oh, I was at your house two weeks ago. We need to have like a game, like a Vols game, and the, you know, they're playing mm. Missouri this weekend. Oh. Big game. Did you know this is... That Kentucky game was impressive. Are we going to talk about this? Well, we're almost done. We're wrapping it up. I have heard from a few viewers that they're like, you know, I follow everything y'all do, but if they're not a Vol fan, so we try to limit some of the Vols. Well, let me just say, imagine your team was so not favored. You're playing a ranked opponent. This is a really rebuilding time for the Vols. Yeah. It was a big signature win. And so just imagine, put yourself in our shoes. It was a big, refreshing, and surprising win. What was surprising is, is we lost our best player on the team to blood clots, Trey Smith. Yeah. And, and he was their only guy who could block. And suddenly the offensive line blocked everybody. And that was a great defense. Yeah. Like they stopped. The, and we, what, ran for 235 yards or something on this? Sports is just cool in that way. I like the story within the story. And, you know, when I can get Curry into sports if she knows the story. Right. She won't just go, oh, throw the ball out there. Let's see what's happening. I don't care. Like I could just watch sports to do it. Yeah. But it always draws you in when you know, like, okay, this guy's coming back from his second knee surgery. He's a fifth-year senior. Like yeah. it's it's do or die. He's got if he's going to get to the draft. I mean, if she knows all that, then she's all in. She she watches every thirty for thirty and balls. 
Even the ones about like soccer players, she'll just cry. They are good. And hey, speaking of, and I can't really say what it is, but I mean, you talked about I'm actually headed to Indiana yeah. on Sunday afternoon. Mm-hmm. There is a situation that was on ESPN story uh, that has to do with Purdue University that there's some writing that they want done in a situation. It's kind of a tragic situation, but y'all can you can say a prayer for me because I'm going to go. Yeah, there and, and it's try a to, timely. It's a time it is. of the essence for sure in this situation. So. Yeah, I'm going to go and try to help and serve in a situation that's difficult. But it's a it's a crazy and beautiful story. It is, um, and now you're built to do it. It's going to be great. Well, I can't wait. Yeah, I don't know. I, I never feel like I, it's an honor to get to go. Yeah, I get to experience things as a writer. Well, it's always cool to be a part of somebody's story, anyway. And now you know this person's. Yeah, it's it's heavy and it's an honor. It's cool. Yeah, and again, I'm sorry to do that to y'all. We can't talk about it until like it's there's some paperwork and things that are happening, but I can't. I'm just not liberty to speak about it. It's going to be cool, but it's fun to get to. I really want to write. Like okay, okay, you want to know a bucket list? If anybody out there, okay, one of the things, and we've pitched a couple things, my agent and I, and other things. but like, just one of my bucket list things is I love to write for like a UT coach, yeah. um, and Rick Barnes is that guy. Like, he's amazing, the basketball coach. Yeah. I mean, he came to faith. A crazy story. His children led him to faith, and he was wow. just kind of living. He's speaking all kinds of places. I don't think he's ready for a book yet, kind of thing. Um, but once we win the national championship this year in basketball, gosh, they're so they're number five. It's the yeah. first time we've been ranked number five since. We got a lot to lose this year. We've always just been like oh, the yeah. off the radar. Now we're on the radar. These big teams are coming for us. We're going to play in the preseason tournaments. Well, we had an off When do we night. play like a North Carolina Duke type team? When do we next play week. them? We play who do we play? Okay, next week we play Louisville on Tuesday. Yeah. In the, but they're not even ranked this year. But that's post Patino era, yeah. If you win, you know you play? Number two, Kansas. Because, or, or Marquette, but they're probably, Kansas will probably beat Marquette in their round. And then Duke we'll play. looks just otherworldly. Zion Williamson, bro. He is 285 pounds, six foot eight. Listen, you may hate basketball, listeners, but I want to tell you something. Unreal. You need to go Google the first couple games of Duke. We watched it while we were in Dallas. Then play Kentucky. His chest is above the rim on a couple of those alley-oops. Above the rim. And he's a freshman. His first game in college basketball against number two, Kentucky. Yeah. And they embarrassed And Kentucky. he's huge. Yeah. He can play all five positions. They literally had him bringing the ball up like a point Ridic- guard. Ridiculous. And then his... His speed to the basket. What is he? Two sixty minimum. Two, he's two eighty five. Two eighty five. I mean, like he's not even like he's not it's even like, like if JJ Le- Watt could play basketball like LeBron James. That's what they were saying. It's Le- the body of JJ Watt. It is because LeBron's this huge guy, but he's kind of ripped and cut. And yeah, he's not. He's not necessarily a. He's face deceptively fast too, though. But this guy, his his speed to the basket mm-hmm. in those five star Kentucky players. It was like they were standing still. Crazy. And then he would just go up from like the free throw line. I mean, I've never. Anyway, he's a freshman. His first game, he scored 28 points and like 13 rebounds or something. Like, I've never seen anything like it. So you well, need to go. All, there's go tape Google on. It. There's tape on everybody now on the Vols. That's the thing is that's when you can't sneak up on anybody. We'll see what we have this year. But got a lot of seniors on the team. Well, we have a lot of good opportunities. chemistry. You know, good. There's articles and it's always you have a lot of opportunities in November and December to make statements that will make a difference because that's easy. It's just all about your seating. It's, it's it all is. about the tournament. Yeah. It is, and they'll they'll if if and they in Georgia Tech was a hard game. We actually were we, were off and still won by so ten. Many fouls called in that game. It was I, rough. I read the stats and it was like. 40 fouls called. I mean, they were just... Uh, 48 fouls in four, 40 minutes is what they, they said. They were just beating each other up, man. It was, like, really, really physical. And we didn't shoot well, and they still won. They, wow. they, they kept the lead the whole game, and that's so a So that was deal. your vol update, and we're yeah. sorry. We're not really sorry, but no. hang in there with us. We're we're rebuilding in football. We have we have reason to be optimistic, and then basketball, we're kind of turning the corner. Yeah. Getting back to, like, the Bruce Pearl excitement days. To where yeah. it's like we're a, we're a, we're a prominent program again. I actually like this this team better than those teams. I love those guys and Chris yeah. Loft and everything, but I like the demeanor of these teams. This so. feels more like a this feels more like we got like two or three Ron Slay types on this team. Well, they're like outspoken and they're fun. Yeah, the difference between this team and those teams is those teams used to get fouled. It was very they're emotional like Bruce Pearl. Oh, right. and I like that sometimes, but it was always the wrong call. Like they never just these guys when it's the bad call, they kind of just they look disappointed, but they take on the demeanor of Rick. They don't freak out. Yeah. Like Kentucky, every time they get fouled, oh my gosh, like they're running around because that's what Calipari does. That's the it, best impression of a Kentucky. Player oh my gosh, they got fouled. It's beautiful. Yeah. So like Valley Girl. Sorry to our Kentucky listeners. Yeah, listen. Both we beat you. Kentucky twice last year in the regular season, and we lost by like what six or something in the tournament yeah, to no. them. So, but this is going to be a different year. It'll be hard. We may not win everything, but I think we could make a, a deep run. We got to go to a game. 
Oh, I'm going. So game night at my house, then we'll go to a game. They so. just announced SEC men's basketball tournament. You know, went to St. Louis for a year. So you're saying it's going to be back in Vegas. It's going to be or back in. Uh, it's going to be in the Bridgestone, Bridgestone from here till 2030. What? And possibly with an extension to 2035 for the exception of 2022 when it's going to Tampa. So literally, so, it's going to be in Nashville from so here. So when to I the, said politicians sign off on things and there's unexpected this was good though. This is it's good because it affects you. <laughs> <laughs> All these other tiny schools that can't get an event, they're like. 2030. Well, every bat, every every SEC team gets it's to come and fine. benefit from it. John, do they I'm going to go to basketball games like you've never seen. So it's going to okay, be great. I'll go with so. I'll go. And you're all invited out there, listeners. Let's just get a big bus together. Oh yeah, the big orange. Hey, I really do want to put one thing out there as we close the day about a, an idea that we've had, and and so you may not even like this idea, Johnny, but I'm, I'm just curious. If we've had it, how could I not well, like it? Well, I don't remember that we came to a consensus, and well. now I'm speaking about it publicly to our millions of listeners. But we are approaching episode 50, yep. and that's a pretty big milestone, Johnny. That's the golden episode. What do you – yeah, what do you get from me? Well, I'm wondering if we don't sometime in the near future put together a live recording of Talk About That with, with people present. Oh, I think that'd be cool. You think that'd be fun? Do you think listeners would want to come to it? Well, that's that the idea is that we do a thing. We invite listeners to come and hang out. Maybe we can do some sort of event that would be night. neat. Yeah. And maybe we could take some like audience Sell questions. Sell some tickets. Give the money away to charity. I, mean, I don't know. Let's not let's not add too many caveats well, no, that will keep dollar, them. Five dollar ticket. They're going to spend five dollars anyway. Five dollar ticket, and then we give the money away to, uh, you know, whatever. We'd have to have at least Calcutta 10, Mercy that night. I need to have at least ten people either email or tweet us to say that they'd be interested in that for us to make it a valid thing. So you Done. can email me at John J O H N at JohnDriver dot com, yeah. or you can say, hey, direct tweet if you want me and Johnny. J-O-N-N-I-E underscore W or at John underscore driver. Like, I need feedback on this. And I'm sorry I didn't get to the questions today with our segment and our cool music. But we just, you got, you wanted to talk about history the whole time. I did. And uh, I know how you feel about that. So, but hey, we are always just honored, honestly, that you listen. Every time we hear from listeners, it's just, you know, it's just cool. It's cool that we get to share this. Me and Johnny dreamed. We used to want to do a radio show back before podcasts were a thing, you know. We wanted to call it John and Johnny in the mornings. Remember that? <laughs> but, like we hate, morning but we hate getting up in the mornings. That's what's crazy. Yeah. But, but uh, this is actually fun for us, and we think that we get to talk about things that are enjoyable but also important. So send us your questions, your comments, share it with somebody out there. And uh, appreciate you being a part of what we're doing here on Talk About That. Hey friend, I'm Brooke McLaughlin, host of the Everyday Prayers Podcast, a ministry of million praying moms. And I'm here to invite you to partner with God for the hearts of your children on the daily. Our goal at Everyday Prayers is to help moms understand and pray God's word. Join us each weekday as we share insights from God's word for today's Christian mom. Tune in to the Everyday Prayers Podcast in your favorite app or by visiting lifeaudio.com.